The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every single solitary week we work our fingers to the bone to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And sometimes the information you need is just like really personal to you. Like I've got this issue. I want to know about this thing. And so once a month on the first Wednesday of each month, we have an open Q&A day. And that is today, Pearl Harbor Day. Also, also, question and answer day here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. So if you have a question that has been burning or you just uh, just thought of one, I don't know. I don't care when you thought of it. Uh, you can either call it in at 877-772-9658 up until about 10 till 6 Eastern time. You can do that, 877-772-9658. Or if you're in an awkward situation, like still at work, that sort of thing, where you can't really call and potentially be put on hold for a few minutes while I answer the last question, uh, you can also send it via email. That address is askvina at gmail.com. A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. You can actually use that uh, address to send questions in any time you think of them. Uh, it'll just be that you'll get the answer next time we have a question and answer show, so you'll have to listen for the answer. Uh, we do have several uh, questions uh, that have already piled up in the inbox from people who have asked them either since the last Q&A show or today because they got our a weekly email that uh, talks about what's happening on the program and other things that are going on out in the world. And uh, so we will get to those as soon as we get through the usual quick announcements. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati is holding an all-day workshop this coming Saturday called How and Why to to Create a Compelling, Inspiring, Implementable Business Plan. It is on Zoom, so in theory... Anyone who's listening could attend. It's absolutely free for Cincinnati REA members. It's $47 for non-members. If you register and then cannot actually attend all day on Saturday, you will get the recordings of the whole day for your real estate library afterwards. You get more information about that and maybe even register at CincinnatiREA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. So, lacking any calls on the 
uh, monitor, which is what we typically get through for, to first. And by the way, again, that number is 877-772-9658. We're going to go to the email. And here's an email from Glenn who says, I have a few rental properties that I would like to sell down the road. My question is, how do I find a good valuation for these properties? I've asked many real estate agents and have received a lot of different answers. Most of the time, the agents want to sell the better properties and not what I would call the investor properties. Let me know if you can help. Well, so Glenn, um, the way to get a good evaluation of a property is to both look at comparable sales and I'm going to add at the time at which you've actually decided to sell it because the comparable sales that you look at today are maybe not what the property is going to be worth if you decide to sell it in a year. Um, prices are expected to go down. Uh, the numbers I'm seeing are, you know, 5 to 10 percent, so not a huge amount. Of course, you can always sell for more, particularly those investor properties that nobody wants to list for you. Uh, you can always sell them for more if you're willing to carry back financing to qualified buyers. But just looking at the comparables is not the full picture. I think maybe the reason that you're getting different answers from different agents is that they're only looking at the comparables. They're not actually putting their eyes on the interior of the property because, of course, property condition makes a big difference in both the desirability of the properties and what what people are going to pay for them because, you know, all the fixed-up comps might be $200,000, but if I walk into yours and I say, but in order to make it worth the $200,000 that the other houses sold for, I'm going to have to put in a new kitchen and a new bath, and that's going to cost me, you know, $20,000, and so uh, I don't want to pay 200000 for this one. So uh, it might help if you got a, and again, only do this when you are actually ready to sell. It's wasting somebody's time who works on commission to do this now when you might not be ready to sell now. Uh, get a couple of agents who already sell a lot of properties in the neighborhood where yours is, and take them on a tour of the property, and I'm guessing you're going to get answers that are much closer to reality. Now, there's a, uh, and they're much closer together. You know, they, they won't have these big swings that I think you're experiencing. Um, I think that you do need to ask the question, at what price would you list this if I wanted it sold in seven days? Because the other thing that's happening in the market, uh, prices haven't, as you probably noticed, actually gone down significantly yet what's happening instead is that days on market are lengthening in most places in the united states and the response to that is prices going down so you know sometimes an agent will say well i think we could get 169 but when you say where do we need to price it to sell it in seven days they say well that's 149 and i think that's the answer you're probably actually looking for so thank you very much for your very interesting email, Glenn. And uh, yeah, if you want to sell the if you want to sell the non uh, retail type properties, the ones that your agents are kicking back at you because they don't want to list them because you're calling them investor type properties, which I'm thinking means they're in 
uh, neighborhoods that aren't as good as the homeowner neighborhoods and maybe the condition might have. So they're, they're rental properties and they're always going to be rental properties. Uh, you can always sell them off market to other real estate investors by letting it be known they're available and seeing who wants to pay the most money. And I will add again that unless your goal is to collect a bunch of cash for some reason, uh, selling those with some sort of owner carryback could be a really good way to get more money overall. It'll just, you know, it'll take longer to get it. So thanks for your question. Appreciate it. Uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's Q&A day. You can call in your question at 877-772-9658 or you can send it via email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Davina Jones-Cox, doing questions and answers today and getting some really interesting questions. Like they're they're kind of all over the place. In fact, one of the questions I received earlier is a an insurance question that I actually didn't know the answer to. And so I reached out to Bill Palti, who is uh, a vendor member of Cincinnati RIA and also uh, has been on the show before to uh, ho- hopefully get his thoughts on this uh, rather interesting insurance question. He's joining me by phone. Bill, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Good afternoon, Vina. How are you? I am. I am good, except I'm a little confused about this insurance question that Paul sent in. Now, Paul, Paul is from Dayton. So, you know, I know you, you do insurance in Ohio and a few other states, but and I know sometimes it makes a difference what state people are in. But here is Paul's question. He says, I have a property management company that wants me to put them as additional insured for liability on my property policy for the property they manage. If I don't, they want to charge me an additional $50 per month. And then his questions are, have you seen this before? Are there any downsides of putting them on my insurance? The simple answer is yes, they should be on the insurance. I've never seen anybody actually charge a fee for not being on. But what the additional insured does is the same as somebody that has a mortgage or is doing financing. They're covering their liability on the policy because they're the ones that are actually directing what happens with the policy mm-hmm. or with the property and within the terms of the policy. So, yes, that goes on on a regular basis on property managers because otherwise uh, they're pretty much setting out there naked if they don't have tied in or are not tied into the insurance some way or another. The other option is they would have to buy their own insurance policy for, to protect a liability for what they do. Which might so be that's why not they, uncommon. That might be why they want the extra $50 a month if Paul doesn't add them to the policy so that they can buy yeah. their own. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that you'll get it for $50 a month, but, yeah, um, it's not a huge thing. It does not cost the property owner anything to add them in a majority of cases, but, yeah, that's not unusual by any way, shape, or form. So th- so is there any downside to having the property manager added as additional insured? No, because, again, it's just like uh, if your bank puts a additional insured on, it's covering their interest to make sure that everything gets covered. Um, to Again, to the property owner, pardon the expression, it's more of a formality 
than anything else is just making sure that everybody's accounted for with the insurance policy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So by adding them, uh, I believe the correct terminology is as additional insured as their interests appear and only on the liability side. If the property were to have like a fire, for instance, uh, the the check is not going to be issued to Paul and his and his management company. Like like the the the, the check for the repairs is not going to be issued to both Paul and his management company. It would just be interest issued to Paul because the property manager is covered for liability only. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. All right. So Paul, I don't think you need to be looking for another management company. It sounds like this is standard operating procedure. And Bill, I thank you very much for helping me out with that one. I say helping me out as if I could have done it alone. Well, if you were to spend uh, 20 or 25 minutes on the Internet, you could have scrambled that. But, yeah, <laughs> glad to uh, give my opinion and save a little bit of time for you. All right. Thank you very much. That was Bill Pulte from Pulte Insurance. Paul, I think you just got the best answer you possibly could have. Let's go to line one and talk to Stephen Maryland. Steve, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, let me turn this down. Um, hi, Vina. I've got a question about buying a house, and the lady is she. We went to see it, and she was advertising it as a house uh, that needs to be rehabbed. But when I got to talking to her. She doesn't want to leave the house. She's in a wheelchair, and she's half blind right now. She thinks she's going to get back on her feet, but hard to say. Her boyfriend lives in there with a. He's had one leg amputated, and she wants to sell the house. I'm concerned that if I buy the house from her, I'm going to be considered a predator and I'll be uh, subject to liability. Uh, is her house in foreclosure? It's te- yeah, the guy. The guy is a private lender, and he says it's going to be in foreclosure, but it's not in foreclosure yet. Okay, so because because I'm 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 asking that because of course I'm looking at screen and it says you're from Maryland. Yes, and you know about the PIFA law in Maryland, right? Uh, what's it called, PIPA? Yes, you, you need to you need to look that up. It is the uh, uh, Protecting Homeowners in Foreclosure Act. It is unique to Maryland. Maryland is okay. the only uh, the only place that has managed to come up with this uh, very interesting um, law that is actually protecting a lot of people in foreclosure against being able to sell their houses. So this is a private lender. Yes. And she doesn't, ideally, she doesn't actually want to sell the house. She just can't make the payments. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, she's on disability, Social Security disability. Her boyfriend is. They say they can afford 900 bucks a month. The payment's 18 roughly. Mm. And um, I was going to work out a deal where I uh, took over the note, maybe, and let them pay me the 900 And when she's 59 and a half or 59, I would uh, let her stay there, and then I'd sell it back to her with reverse mortgage when she could buy it back and I wouldn't really have to do anything and I'd take 50, split the profit 50-50. Well, I, I appreciate you looking at this from the perspective of am I or will it look like I am taking advantage of somebody who's just you know, elderly, disabled, you know, in trouble with their mortgage, all of that sort of stuff. But the the scenario you just outlined is maybe worse than a a different scenario that you might be able to accomplish the same thing because what you're what you're looking for is to get the house right and right and I assume it I assume it does need rehab yes and I assume that they they don't 
they don't literally want to stay there forever. They just well, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, she says she wants to stay there as long as she can. Um, it's hard to say. They've got a part-time private duty nurse in there. Um, I think that's probably state-sponsored too. They, um, you know, she she may not live that long. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And she's still married to her husband. I'm trying to find out if he's still in the deed or not, but he's given, supposedly he's given her a power of attorney to sell the house if she wants to. And so she's in there with her boyfriend. What does she, what, what does she owe? Uh, 165. And what does, what do you think the house is worth as is? Well, they got three offers in. I don't know what the other people are offering. We're probably going to offer 200. Okay. So your, your evaluation of what you would like to pay is 200,000. Um, right. So, what would happen if you bought the mortgage and restructured it for her to where the payments were nine hundred dollars a month and just went on longer? So, in other uh-huh. words, there's probably there's probably a way for her to pay nine hundred dollars a month on a hundred sixty five thousand dollar loan if it was extended out to like thirty years. Right. Okay, yep, I, I see that. And you could also give her the difference, which is about 35000 as mm-hmm. a um, – so we're trying to get her payments down to where they're affordable, right? You could also Correct. give her the difference of $35,000 not to buy the house, but to get the option to buy it at two hundred. Okay. Whenever she was ready to – be gone. You know, it'd be a long-term option. You'd say, but look, if, if, if it's 20 years, it's 20 years. I'm going to exercise it when you tell me you're done with the house. Okay, that's a good idea. And, and because because I gave you 35000 up front, I won't actually owe you 200 When I buy it, I'll owe you 165 But remember, your mortgage, if you pay the mortgage down like you're supposed to, you pay the payments like you're supposed to, your mortgage balance will be lower. Right. So you'll get so you'll Good. get some more cash, and you know you have some cash now, and so, something like that might solve That's her cool. problem very cleanly and solve your problem very cleanly. And I will tell you that uh, in, nobody else is offering to let her stay. Right. They all want to kick her out, rehab it, and sell it for market. Yep. Okay. Now, if I buy the loan, and I know you probably don't know this, but if you do, uh, would I be putting myself in a bind regarding keeping the prop, you know, having access to the property still considered to take advantage of her? Uh, you're not even dealing with her to buy the loan. You, right, you, not dealing with the private. You need to call the private lender and say, "Look, this is in foreclosure. What what would you take? What would you take for a purchase of the loan right now? Because it's probably less than the balance." He, yeah, he, I, I talked to him directly. She told me it was one fifty. He said, "Well, she's four months behind. It's one sixty-five." Uh huh. Yeah. Well, he he might take one fifty. Right. Exactly. Just, I'm going to offer it at a discount. Yeah, and tell him, you know, tell him my intention is to restructure the loan so she can afford it and leave okay. her there. And he might take one fifty. He might take a little less than that. You know, make make him an offer. So now you are not the owner of the home. She still is. You, but you are. Mm-hmm. You are the lender, right? So if she were to get behind on those $900 payments, you'd be back in the position of going to her and saying, look, uh, you either need to sign this over to me or we're going back into foreclosure. But if you've given her $35,000 for an option to buy it, uh-huh. she ought to be able to make those payments for a while if she doesn't go blow it all on cigarettes and whiskey and wild, wild women, you know. Right. 
That's a good idea. Okay. So, Thank so, you. So there's, there's, I mean, this is obviously a, a little bit of a complicated structure. So I would definitely uh-huh. get both uh, deep, deeper advice on what the option needs to look like and uh, what the, you know, the mortgage purchase agreements and all that sort of stuff. And then I would run and pass a, an attorney in Maryland. But I think, right. I think you, with that structure, you can probably solve her problem better than anybody. Okay, that's a good idea. Cause, Thank you. Because where in Maryland is she going to find a place that she can rent for 900 a month? In the ghetto. And efficiency. <laughs> right, so, exactly. So, yeah, yes. I, I, think that, I think that could be a good solution. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for your call, All Steve. Right. Okay. All Bye-bye. right. So next up, we have Scott Ellsworth, who is actually here again to help me answer a question as opposed to uh, I don't. I don't think you have a question, do you, Scott? I think you're here to help me answer this 1031 question, right? That is correct. Okay. So yeah, I got it. I got it. After I after I sat down, I got a, a 1031 question from Debbie, who lives in in Florida. You know Debbie. She's a, a co member, and Scott yeah. is a CPA who knows about 1031 exchanges. So let me ask you Debbie's question, Scott. She says, when I sell a property and do a 1031 exchange, can I receive at closing reimbursement for closing costs paid in advance? For example, real estate taxes, real estate commissions, and attorney's fees. I know the investor is not supposed to touch the proceeds, but does does reimbursement for allowable expenses count? Uh, No, you've got to have them. It's got to be on the close. First of all, it's got to be on the closing statement. And so it usually can't be money that's going to you. So you want to structure it with your um, uh, um, your 1031 um, uh, third-party uh, – gosh. Intermediary. Sorry. <laughs> Intermediary. Sorry about that. It's been a long day. Uh, so you want to structure – just talk to them and structure it. Usually it's not best. So what we did in one 1031 was um, – they didn't even want to they didn't want to pay any of those expenses so we worked that outside of um of closing where we did a separate check didn't have to do with the deal and they just cut us a check for property taxes um now we weren't the ones that, that had the issue but he wanted to pay the property taxes outside of closing so it would work similar if you had um any other expenses you need to try to get those paid by the uh, intermediary, um, and I would work with them. I think they can structure it, mm-hmm. not a not a problem, so that it wouldn't be taxable. But you don't want it. You don't want on the the uh, closing statement to show a check going to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, when I've done so, th- like like there's two sides to an exchange. There's the property I right. sold, and there's the property I <clears throat> replaced that property with. When I sell one, and let's say there is an agent's commission. It's on the closing statement, as is any, right. any real estate tax proration I paid, yep. as is. And what, yep. that, what, Perfectly that, fine. what that does is it reduces the amount of money that goes into the intermediary's account, which I, that's kind of what I want, because <laughs> like, those are all deductible right. expenses. And then when I right. buy another property, uh, any anything that's being paid, again, if it's on the closing statement, it's part of the exchange, right? I mean, that's what that's what you just said, Correct. right? Okay, so yep. uh, if there's a if there's a 
3% commission, usually the seller's paying that, so that wouldn't uh, affect me one way or another. But if I'm paying for something over a buyer's above, commission, there could be yeah. a buyer's commission. Yeah, yeah, or, 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 or there could be a wholesale fee. I hadn't even thought about that. Right. So uh, in that case, I would want the wholesaler's fee to be on the closing statement as part of the Absolutely. purchase price so that right. I could include my exchange money in it. Exactly. Okay. That's what you want to do. Everything needs balance. But if you are if you are selling a property though, and you have property taxes, you know how in like in Ohio taxes are paid in arrears, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the problem is if you have that paid on the closing statement, that reduces the gain. But property taxes are deductible, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so those property taxes before I sell it, I want to go ahead and pay those property taxes. I don't want it reducing my gain. I want to defer my gain. So, I like when I bought a building we're in, the seller was doing a 1031, and he actually cut me a check for the prorated real estate taxes. Okay. Um, instead of having it be on the closing statement, because he got a deduction for those. Got it. So he got a deduction, and he gets carried forward the gain. So there is some things you want to do, but you got to have buyers and sellers who are willing to go a little bit on trust, I had to trust he was going to pay me, and his check was going to clear. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he, <clears throat> right? could, he could have just brought a certified check to the closing, made Co- out to correct. you for the for the right amount, or he could have gone down a week before and paid everything up, and then you could have seen it on the website. Well, 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 well he did at closing. He, I knew him. I, but so he didn't. I didn't make him do certified. But, but yes, you 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 are correct. Do that to make sure that it doesn't happen. So, but yeah. Okay. Great. Well, Scott, thank you very much for jumping in on this question. I don't, I don't love, I don't love answering tax questions all, all by myself. So, uh, appreciate you. All right. Talk to you later. And Debbie, thanks for the question. That was Scott Ellsworth, CPA, based here in Cincinnati. Uh, and much appreciation to Scott. So we need to take a quick break. It's question and answer week. Eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. Or you can send your questions in to askvina at gmail dot com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week as it is on the first Wednesday of most months. That means we're kind of like open micing it in terms of if you've got real estate questions, real estate investing questions to ask. You can call 877-772-9658 or you can um, also just send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Now listen, I've, I've got a bunch of emails in the inbox here that are asking for specific recommendations on things. I've got one saying, who's the best list source for buying notes? And one that says, who would you go to if you wanted X, Y, or Z? And the thing is... This being public radio, we don't recommend specific IRA custodians. Was another question that I uh, that I had. I just I just can't do it. So it's not it's not that I'm ignoring your. Well, I guess I can, I'm kind of ignoring your question, but I'm ignoring it because I can't I can't answer it. <laughs> so um, I do appreciate all your questions, but that, that that category of questions, unfortunately, is one that I can't actually answer on the air. So uh, here is a question from Ted, who found himself in a position that uh, was, I don't know, a lot of a lot of people who 
like to sell houses on lease option found themselves in in the last 12 months. Uh, he says, I put a person into a property with a two-year lease with option to purchase. The uh, the option date was the 27th, and they didn't let me know that they wanted to exercise the option until two years later on the 19th. So the, the option actually expired on the 27th of the month, of that month, that year, 22, and they didn't notify him that they wanted to exercise the option until the 19th, 22 days after the 30-day prior end of contract requirement. So a lot of lease options will say, if you're going to exercise your option, you need to let me know 30 days in advance. And the reason for that is simply, uh, if you're going to buy my property, I might want to 1031 exchange it. So you need to tell me 30 days in advance so that I can go find another property to buy. I overlooked that and I gave them 45 days to close ending on the third of the following month. So now we've gone from it expired on the 27th to uh, I've, I've now given you until the third to close. Now they're asking me to give them another week to close. My question is, should I make them sign a new option agreement? Or let them go ahead and close at the original price. The new option agreement would increase the sale price by $50,000 because of the increase in value in the last two years. So, Ted, I get it, man. It's a dilemma. You you set the option price two years ago at what you thought the value was going to be this year. And then we had two years of the highest appreciation uh, any of us have seen in a very long time. And so, like, they did not do what the contract required them to do, which was close by the 27th. And by letting them close at that price, you are sort of kind of walking away from $50,000 in equity that has just developed over the last couple of years because of the uh, increase in prices. Um, And you're kind of questioning yourself about what's fair here. What's legal here is you not they not only didn't do what they what the contract required them to do, which was closed by the 27th of the month. You actually gave them extra time and they still didn't close. So you are perfectly within your rights to say, OK, look, time has passed. Um, sorry, it, it's got to be the current value of the house. On the other hand, since they seem to be very close to being able to close, that means they applied for a loan in the lower amount and that if you now raise the price $50,000, you're pretty much guaranteeing that they won't be able to close it at all. And that's not going to feel fair to them. I can tell you that. I had a situation exactly like this that happened to me over the summer. I had somebody who was actually, uh, they actually had a two-year lease option. It came due in 2020, and they were not able to refinance at that time because they were in the restaurant business and their restaurant was closed for a bigger chunk of 2020. So I gave them another year, which actually ended summer of 2021. And then they came, they showed up this year with a mortgage broker and said, I'm ready to buy it. Only now the price was so much lower than market value that I couldn't, I couldn't just extend the option at the same price. So I talked to him And we came up with an agreement that uh, the price he would pay would be the price he originally agreed to pay plus what we looked up online and discovered that the um, increase in value per year had been. This was a repair for equity deal, so some of the value that he created in the house was due to his work. 
So we came up with a number that was higher than what he originally agreed, but still gave him some equity. You might want to do the same thing here. You might want to have a conversation with these buyers and say, look, I did everything I said I was going to do, and you're still asking for more stuff. I think there's some fair way that maybe we can split the difference. I mean, you know if you were to buy this property today, it would be worth $50,000 more than it is. I don't want to be predatory about this or anything, but I think it's fair that, you know, I've I've waited a really long time and you've been in control of my house for a really long time. So maybe we could increase the price by $25,000 if you would be happy with that and they would be happy with that. And they could qualify for the extra $25,000. That's my big question mark in this deal. Uh, Something like that might be a good solution that you might feel good about and they might feel good about because certainly they know (laughs) that they've got an excessive amount of equity uh, in a property that they don't actually own and, in fact, no longer have an option on. So uh, try something like that. That, that, might, that might work out well for both of you. Uh, it's question and answer week, and we're just kind of, at this moment, going through uh, emails because there's nobody up on the screen. If you wanted to get a question answered immediately, that would be at 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658. For some reason, today we're getting like a whole lot of kind of complicated creative finance questions which is it's cool I mean it's fun for me might be might be confusing for some of the new investors who are listening to the show but if you hear a term you don't understand like option or land contract or subject to or whatever uh, you can go to our archive at realliferealestate.com search for that term and almost guarantee that sometime in the past 20 years uh, we've done a show on that specific topic that you could listen to Uh, This question comes from Patrick in Cincinnati. He says, what is the contingency plan if you buy a property subject to and the loan gets called and the bank doesn't want to negotiate with you even though you've been making monthly payments on time and they decide that they want to call it due? So let let me back up and explain a little bit about that question. So it's about buying a property subject to somebody else's existing loan. All existing conventional bank type loans for the last 30 years have had in them a due on sale clause that says if the borrower transfers the title to the property other than because they died, it doesn't apply to heirs, and other than if they were to put it into a, like an estate planning trust where the borrower themselves were still the beneficiary of that trust, that the bank can decide to just call the loan due and payable even though Every payment has been made, and even though you, having taken it over, have continued to make the payments on time and in full. And it is always a concern of people who are buying property subject to the existing loan of what if the bank notices the change in the payer and also would rather foreclose on the house than continue to have a performing loan. Which is which would be a strange decision for a lender to make. As long as they're continuing to get the payments, why spend fifteen thousand dollars for closing on a property? Because you know they don't just get it back. 
you know, sometimes I'll talk to civilians and they'll say, well, they want the house back because it's worth so much more. You just said that a house went up $50,000 in value in two years. The bank doesn't get the house back. The bank has to take it to a share sale or a trustee sale and auction it off. And the highest bidder takes it. And anything that is bid over what the bank is due goes to the 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 seller goes to the person who got foreclosed on. They they don't get to keep the if it sells for fifty thousand more than what they're owned owed, they don't get to keep that. First the tax the county tax folks get paid and then the banks gets paid and then there's a, another lien after that, they get paid. The bank only gets what they are owed. So there's no there's no actual profit for the bank in foreclosing on a property. So it's pretty rare that a bank will call a loan due and then if you say, okay, well, uh, I have an agreement with your borrower that if you call the loan due uh, and start the foreclosure process, I don't have to make any more payments to you. So I guess I'll just hold on to it for, you know, keep renting it for the next however many months to get my money back and then I guess you'll own it. And if they still call, if they still actually send you an acceleration notice, you, you're never... You're never really going to let your seller go into foreclosure because, I mean, it's his loan, not your loan. You're never really going to let that happen. But I find that, um, you know, suggesting that you might do that usually results in that being the last contact from the bank. But the ultimate uh, the ultimate solution is cure the default. The seller was in default on his mortgage by selling you the property without paying off the loan. Right. If you were to sign that property back over to the seller, I think the chances that the bank would continue foreclosure would be very, very slim because you have cured the default. And of course, if you've if you've owned it for a while, you got a lot of equity, you could always sell the property or take it out with a private loan before the bank could foreclose. But ultimate solution, not one you like, but ultimate solution, sign it back over to the seller or give him the deed back if he'll take it. Some sellers might not want to take it. So uh, thank you for your question, Patrick. Uh, we are going to take one more quick break. And then the couple last questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Wrapping up the last, I don't know, five or seven minutes here of question and answer week. Oh, the last one of 2022. Next one will be in 2023. Uh, so looking at the email box here, um, I have a question here from Marsha. And it's about land contracts. I was wondering what your opinion would be on a land contract that was sold for 40,000 down with a purchase total purchase price of 250. If it did default, so Marsha's the seller here, if it did default, I wouldn't expect it would, but I want a backup plan. Would having an option to purchase the property in the event of the default for the then current balance work? Thanks for all your help. Okay. So Marsha, um I I'm making the assumption here that you are selling this property or maybe have already sold this property to someone who is going to live in it. And they have made a $40,000 down payment on a total purchase price of $250,000. And what you're looking for is instead of 
having to foreclose on this buyer should it should the loan default uh having a having an option where basically you can just take it back over keep the $40,000 keep any equity that has been created by the market or by the work they've done and wipe wipe out the money they owe you i i think that's what you're trying to accomplish here the problem is by forcing this homeowner into that being their uh, only exit strategy should they default, you are in effect kind of um, taking away their right to the legal process of foreclosure. You're saying, okay, yeah, you've defaulted on the land contract and... I can foreclose, but also I have this other agreement over here on the side that we made at the beginning that says that I can just buy the property from you at the then current balance. I have an option to buy buy out your land contract, basically. You wouldn't be you wouldn't have an option to buy the property because you already own the property. Um so what does that look like to a civilian, say, judge or jury? Or I don't know, investigative reporter. It it looks like they had potentially a lot of equity in the house, at least $40,000 worth, we would hope here. And you took it away from them. And that's even assuming that you could force them into letting you exercise your option. I mean, there's just there's just a lot of a lot of stuff going on here. Um in order for you to exercise your option, they would have to come to a closing table and basically release the land contract. And what do you do if they won't? What do you do if they say, I'm not showing up, I've got $100,000 worth of equity in this property and I want to sell it? There's nothing you can do to force them. You could sue them. But again, now we're back in court and good luck explaining to a court how the same investor who sold them the property also has the right to take over their land contract for no money. I just, I don't, I don't think that all of that uh, is going to work or have a very good appearance uh, or, 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 you know, let's be honest, really be fair to the, to the buyer either. Uh, So you can certainly, should the land contract default, go to them and say, Rather than having to foreclose on you, uh, how about we come up with some settlement where you move out and I give you back, I give you some money and I forget that you owe me all this money and you release your rights to the house. I think, you know, uh, rather than trying to tie it up in this complex legal way that I don't even think is going to work, uh, you just maybe have a conversation with them should something like that happen which with forty thousand dollars down uh that's probably not going to happen unless something really bad happens to your buyer uh okay final question here in the email box uh what is your expertise in getting a real estate license to wholesale properties now that a few states require licenses boy this was not one to ask in the last two minutes it's not one for me to to answer in the last two minutes um This is from Darren, and yes, there are now three states and one city and who have actually codified that only people with real estate license can wholesale property, Uh, although one of them has a 
it actually has a thing that says more than one property a year. And there's also a city, Philadelphia, that has uh, done something simpler, similar. And there's another state, Tennessee, uh, that had a court case this year where the court said that the wholesaler had done something wrong because he was acting as a real estate agent without a license. And while that is not in the state law, that court case is out there. So do you get a real estate license to wholesale properties or don't you? Um, The simple answer, the easiest thing to do is, yeah, get a real estate license, but make sure that your sponsoring broker understands that what you really want to do is wholesale properties and understands that wholesale fees are not commissions and that they're, you know, you've made some kind of deal about how they're going to get paid on that. I mean, that's way, the getting a license thing is way more complicated than just passing the test. Um, another thing that you could do, though, is you could develop some sources of partners and or transactional funders so that you could always close every deal. In none of those states is it illegal for you to buy a house and sell it again a day later. So, yeah, we could have a whole show just on that topic because I have a lot of opinions on it. But uh, we can't do that right now because we are out of time. Thank you to all you folks who ask questions and who listen today. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.